you know, we're, we're getting close to the playoffs, so we have to start building good habits and uh, kind of treat these games like playoffs. So uh, when we go into the playoffs, we, uh, you know, have that, you know, that, that team, team togetherness. My job with our guys is, you know, yeah, make the comfortable, uncomfortable and uncomfortable comfortable. And, you know, that's the tone we got to set. There's nobody who should be satisfied or feel like, oh, we got a cushion. No, no way, no. I only had one goal. So <laughs> that's, that's me. Like, my, I got one goal, and that's to be in June, us having a parade. Like, that's, that's what I think about. For the latest news in Raptorland, it's the Jurassic Pod with Josh Lewenberg and Gareth Wheeler. This is episode three of Jurassic Pod, the TSN Raptors podcast. Gareth Wheeler alongside Raptors beat reporter extraordinaire Josh Lewenberg coming at you. We're maxed, we're relaxed, we're coming off the all-star break and feeling pretty good. Josh, you look even younger than you already do. How, oh. that's, how is that possible? Oh, stop. <laughs> do you still get carded when you go to the LCBO? Or no, the that's why store? I grew the beard. Yeah, that's why. Listen, I'm a big fan of beards, and I think they're coming back in sports broadcasting. I think it's well, Okay, so when I first grew it, I, I was so, I mean, there, there are a bunch of guys on the desk now on Sports Center that have the beard, but I guess it's one of those Who things. Who has it in the bill? Yeah. Who else? I'm sure there's a couple other dudes. I just think of Nabil, the yeah, poster boy. But, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that Jack I... Jack ne- Armstrong? Right. It's one of those things that I never paid attention to until I needed to, until I grew it. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, is this okay? Are they are they going to sign off on this? So I actually emailed a, a bunch of the higher-ups, our bosses, and asked... And they were okay with it. As long as I, as long as it's not like Grizzly Adams, I'm okay. So it's I, I keep a trim. I think that would look dope. You with just some ZZ Top type badass beard. <laughs> just think about it, Josh. And by the way, the mustache. I'm not sure like, if that's TSN approved. Well, Rod Black, Gino Retta. I want them to grow back the mustache. I mean, that's their calling card. Wear that with pride, gentlemen. Wear it with pride. Yes, guy. Right. <laughs> the, the, the Jim Taddy well, look. He's never lost his. See, he knows who he is. That's quite the individual. He's on brand. Uh, We're going to reflect upon All-Star Weekend, but not so much the game. We'll share some reflections, Josh, but we'll also get into some of the news and notes that came out of All-Star Weekend. The good, the the game, or at least the end of it. Uh The bad, uh, Kevin Hart, and the ugly. Fergie's anthem. See, I would put Kevin Hart as uglier than Fergie's anthem. See, I would agree because you know how I feel about Kevin Hart. <laughs> right, Kevin Hart. Like, can we get into this before sure. we get? Okay, into- we'll, we'll talk Kevin Hart first. Why? Did, why every year does he spoil and ruin All Star Weekend? <laughs> so, Kevin Hart. This is my theory. Kevin Hart is the Nickelback of actors. <laughs> no one wants to admit that they like these people. Yet, Nickelback is still around. They're doing their their. Concerts and Kevin Hart is in literally photograph. Yeah, Kevin Hart is in literally everything else. So no one wants to admit to liking these people, but yet clearly someone is supporting them, right? My take or is, is he kind the, of or like is he the Trump of no, uh, of comedians? I know because I think a lot of people like him, and a lot who he had a couple shows. He had like shows back to back nights at the ACC that were sold out. I'm like, what? Who is paying hundreds of dollars to see Kevin Hart? Because I'll, I'll give him this. He's an energetic guy. Um, he's a he's dec- like one of those small dogs that just barks and barks and barks until you want to punt it across right. the room. But uh, there's, I can acknowledge that he is an entertainer, but he's certainly not funny. 
Like, there's a big difference between being a comedian the, and just being a really good The host. players were getting ticked off during those intros. Like, they weren't happy about that. was funny. He mispronounced, he called Damar, Damar Rosen, I'm pretty sure. I, <laughs> I think he forgot the second duh. Uh, and what was the thing about was it like Lowry? Scotty Pippen? What did Scotty Pippen call him? <laughs> he called him uh, Demarcus DeRozan. Uh, Demarcus DeRozan. And then he said something about Lowry in a fanny pack, or I don't know. The whole that pre the pregame festivities took like an hour, right? And maybe that's why we enjoyed the game so much. Is the bar was set so low after Kevin Hart's nonsense, and then uh, the bare naked ladies botched a lyric and then the Canadian anthem, and then Fergie did whatever she did with the American anthem, made everyone feel like they needed to take a shower after that. Yeah, which which I don't mind being a little sexy, but I was watching that was a it, lot of sexy. I was watching it with the volume down, and I went back and listened to it, and yeah, it was bad, but it was just like the camera cuts onto the players. Faces. That's what made it even worse for me. The that was a low light that turned into a highlight. I, 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 it was Kevin Hart. Like, stop booking him for All Star games. Is he the only guy in Hollywood that translates to a basketball audience? Absolutely not. There's a lot of funny, great, talented people that are always at NBA games. Just no more Kevin Hart. See, at least the Philadelphia Eagles, when they won the Super Bowl, they're like, you're not coming up on stage with us. Well done. Get away. The NBA, as progressive as this league is, needs to take the next step. No more Kevin Hart. The first thing I tweeted after the game is, all right, this, for the most part, was a success. They they got a competitive (laughs) all-star game. Great. Keep the format. Next year, televise the draft, and don't let Kevin Hart in the damn building. Uh, we'll get into some of Commissioner Adam Silver's thoughts over the course of All-Star Weekend a little bit later on. 1 through 16, do we want to go there? Some other potential changes to the NBA. And i got to tell you, Josh, spoiler alert, I like a lot what Adam Silver's suggesting. Uh, some news and notes around the league. Is Giannis being used too much in Milwaukee? What's going on with Kawhi Leonard? So we'll get to all of that. But first, let's start here with the Toronto Raptors. It's weird. Since our last podcast, there hasn't been a game. And the Raptors don't play until Friday night against Milwaukee. If you're listening to this on the weekend, that game's done. But that's all they play. They don't play over the course of the weekend. The Raptors 905 play on Sunday at 5 p.m. against the Wisconsin Herd, but no Raptors basketball. So they're really eased into this quote-unquote unofficial second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, technically, they're still on that seven-game win streak that we talked about last week. But oh, it do- yeah, that. It doesn't seem like it, does it? No, I can I can barely remember the last game. It was against the Chicago Bulls, yep. I recall. And then the guys just got the hell out of Dodge and went. And you were at practice today. Teams back together. The band is reunited, feeling good. But Coach Casey was Coach Casey on Thursday. Classic Coach Casey. We haven't achieved anything yet. Back to business. And I like that, quite frankly, from the head coach, Josh. Yeah, he was on a mission today. He he reiterated the we are not comfortable line, which is a new one. It's a spin on we haven't accomplished anything yet. He repeated that over and over again today. And I always say, Casey is a very smart man. If we're hearing something... That means the players are hearing it. And if the players are hearing it, there's probably a reason for it. So this is something that I wrote uh, yesterday or uh, Wednesday, I should say, depending on when you're listening to this. Exactly. You could be listening to this anytime. It's something that I wrote on Wednesday in that it's the biggest reason why Casey 
is emphasizing this goal of finishing in first now this year more than he ever has before. Yes, there are obvious benefits of finishing in first. It could be very helpful for them if they make it to the conference finals and have home court advantage there because, of course, the Raptors are very good at home. But more than anything else, Casey is doing this because he wants to keep the players' attentions. Last year, uh, they... Uh, really struggled to maintain their focus around this time of the year, which has been sort of an ongoing thing with Casey teams before All-Star break and just after All-Star break. And it's not entirely unusual because, as we know, playoff-bound teams, Mm -hmm. this is the time of the year, the dog days of winter, where you sort of do uh, tend to take your eyes off the prize a little bit. So what Casey is doing, and I think it's very smart, by the way, it's a tactical move, is he's giving them something tangible to strive for here before the playoffs roll around. Because, of course, come playoff time, you don't need extra motivation. But until then, it's okay we need to finish in first. We want to finish in first. That's something where, obviously, you've got to win, you've got to be playing well, and you've got to go into the playoffs with momentum in order to do that. So that's been what they're preaching right now. See, it's it's weird to me. Like I'm trying to figure out whether it's something that he said publicly um, to send a message to just Raptors fans, basketball fans, people around the city, maybe to lower the bar, because it has raised, or whether that's an internal message, and why you need to do that publicly in order to get that message across. You know what I mean? I I think it serves dual purposes here, not just one. Well, I I think, well, first of all, we we heard about this this goal of theirs to finish first, which sounds a little silly because finishing first should be everyone's goal. But as I've said, in years past, that wasn't what we were hearing from them. And that wasn't even what the players were hearing from Casey because they were always very careful about managing expectations, uh, about focusing more on the game-to-game and not looking long-term. But before we heard this from Casey this season, we actually heard it from Lowry saying this is something that Coach feels very strongly about is gunning for first. So I believe that it's something that is being talked about in the room. In terms of why we're hearing about it, I think it's just part of the big picture. Is like, hey, there's pressure on them to finish in first this year. And I think right. Casey, for the first time ever, is happy about that pressure because it means his guys can't take the foot off the gas. Some good games coming up here in the, in the whatever, the remaining stretch of the year. They're 41 and 16, best record in the East, two games up on the Boston Celtics to start this stretch run. Uh, over the next, what, 25 games left, Josh? Yep. 25 games left in the season. Uh, they got the Bucks and the Pistons, a good back-to-back home games to start off this next stretch. Then they have games against the Wizards coming up, Pistons, Rockets, uh, Pacers, Thunder, uh, and of course the Cavaliers and Nuggets coming up as well, and Celtics here in this in, in the last twenty five games. So you are playing some playoff games. The schedule actually looks pretty decent for them. A balance between competitive basketball and a lot of home games as well. Well, there's a we're looking ahead here significantly, but there's a huge three game stretch at the end of March, beginning of April, where the Raptors are in Boston. That's late March. They've got a couple days off. Then they go to Cleveland. And then they're back home to face the Celtics again. Yeah, so that's those are their fourth, third, and second to last games of the year. Then they finish with the Pacers. Right. So you got the you got the Celtics twice in the last couple of weeks. You got them twice in the span of whatever it is, four or five days. And obviously, those games are going to be huge in determining who finishes atop the East. Both in the sense, obviously, that they will determine the tiebreaker if the Raptors and Celtics finish with the same record at the end of the season. But also, like that's a huge swing. That's 
uh, two games in either direction. If either team you wins both of them, you, you hope that they matter more for the other two teams it's probably than they gonna, I mean, for you. Unless either team either just goes on a crazy hot stretch here or one team really struggles. Well, the Celtics need to get it together. The Cavs have a lot of ground to make up. Well, They're they, six and a half games back. Yeah, I mean, the Cavs I don't consider to be a legit threat for first place in the East Going into the playoffs, I consider no. them to be a huge threat in the playoffs. But right now, I mean, they're they're playing well. Or they they've won what four in a row? The Cavs, yeah, yeah, yeah seven and three in their last ten. Four in a row going into All Star. They're playing well. But as we talked about last week, I think some of that is sort of the adrenaline factor coming off a big trade. I'm with you. Uh, I think for them, the priority over the next two months is going to be to get things together, make sure that they're. Uh, that they're all acclimated to their system, to LeBron going into the playoffs. That's their focus, and they are they they're confident that they can come out of the East, go to the finals, regardless of where they're situated in the standings. We've seen that before. They essentially conceded first to Boston last year, and look how much that affected them. They still beat Boston in five games, so they're confident. They should be confident if and when LeBron flips on that switch. So I don't consider them to be a huge threat for first place. I see it right now, and maybe I'll be proven wrong if Cleveland continues to play well, but right now I see it as a two-team race, and it's going to be an interesting one. I think Boston has the tougher schedule than Toronto does, but both teams have an obvious motivation to finish first. Um, And I I think it'll be neck and neck. I think those two games will matter. Beyond that, Rather than finishing first place, it's about what your potential playoff matchups will be. Yep. And I think that what no you're way looking to know that at right by now. being first place is you think that Celtics and and uh, Cavs are going to finish 2-3. And, and that's why you want to finish first place. So you can play the likes, potentially, before you get to the Eastern Conference Final, the likes of Washington or Indiana or Milwaukee or whoever might come out of that group. Well, this is this is an interesting. Right? Dis- that, that, like for any team, you want to avoid Celtics Cavs. You want to be the th- if there's three big teams in the Eastern Conference in the second round in the of the playoffs. Round, right. You want to avoid yep. the Celtics and the Cavaliers and everyone else. Yeah, there's some pretty good teams there, and I think the East has vastly improved this year, Josh. And we'll get into a few moments who you'd like and who the best matchups for the Raptors would would be. But mission number one: just avoid the Celtics and the Cavs early. Is as early as you can. Let those two teams knock off one another. That's huge. And that's what they failed to do last year, and that was ultimately their undoing. I mean, they obviously weren't built to go much further in the playoffs. They weren't going to beat the Cavs whenever they played them last year. But I truly think if they finished in a, a, a seed that would have allowed them to avoid the Cavs, until the conference finals last year, I think they would have made the conference finals, but ultimately right. they faced Cleveland in the second round, and that was lights out. So I think that's the number one goal here is to avoid doing that. You finish in first, and that's a good point, Wheels. You play, theoretically, the fourth place or the fifth place team in the second round. But yeah, in terms of the first round, it's interesting. I looked at this yesterday, too, is you've got six teams right now that are bunched pretty closely together. They're separated by five games, and they're vying for five spots in the bottom half of the Eastern Conference. And I mean, it's not even the bottom half of the Eastern Conference, because one of those teams is going to finish fourth and have home court advantage in the first round. But we really have no idea who that team is going to be. I mean, right now Washington is there, but I, I look at Philadelphia as like the ultimate wild card team right now. They're two games away from being in that position right. where they host uh, a 
a first-round series, but they're also three games away from falling out of the playoffs altogether. And It's competitive, and this year, the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference isn't going to be a sub-500 team. It isn't going to be some team you can you can roll. The, the Eastern Conference is so much better this year than it's been in recent years. Yeah, It's I, not even close. Like I think it's better coached. I think you have better depth of players. You actually have some star players now coming out of the Eastern Conference. It's going to be much more difficult this time around for any team, no matter what that matchup is. You just can't stroll through your first round matchup. Not the way that I look at it this year. That's true. Who's the weak team? Is, is it is it Washington, Indiana, and, and Indiana would be the team that jumps off the page because they don't have that one quote unquote superstar. Oladipo has been great this year. Yep. We know what the Milwaukee Bucks are—a vastly improved team. If they can be healthy come playoff time, get Brogdon back, Parker back into the mix a little bit more. If Giannis can stay healthy, look out. 76ers, you called it, wildcard team. Miami Heat, uh, the, Eric Spolstra for me is the best coach well coached, in the Eastern Conference, maybe the NBA. And then you got the Detroit Pistons knocking on the door now, and I think they have a run in them. And so one of those teams is going to miss out. So, first of all, the Raptors, as we know, should beat any of these teams, and they would if if they're playing the way that they should be playing, playing anywhere close to the, the level that they've been playing recently. So let's get that over with. They should win any of those series, but each one of those six teams, to me, I could see a scenario where they put up a fight. I could see a scenario where any of those six teams steal a couple games from the Raptors or the Celtics or the Cavaliers, if not three games. Uh... I'll handicap the the six of them. So from most favorable down to most challenging, I think the most favorable matchup there for the Raptors, I agree with you, is Indiana. Oladipo's been excellent this season, but their defense isn't what it was back in the Frank Vogel days. And outside of Oladipo, they don't have a lot of top-end talent there. Uh, So I would go Indiana. I'd say Detroit, too. Just uh, too many variables there. Not only are they coming together... So late in the season with Blake Griffin just having been acquired, but Reggie Jackson, who knows when he'll be back. And it's the same scenario as Lowry and Ibaka last year. Like You've got to have time to get on the same page. That Those will also be like home games for the Raptors, basically, with I'm sure a lot of fans going sure. up there to Detroit. So I would go Indiana-Detroit, uh, Miami, kind of scary. They played them tough. They're deep, well-coached, but... No star power there, at least not the star power that you fear in the playoffs. Go Miami. I'd go Philadelphia. They're young, which is usually a disadvantage come playoff time. But if they're healthy, they they do scare you, especially the way they've been playing lately. And the, the two teams that would scare me most are Milwaukee and Washington, probably with Washington, I think, being the tougher of the two. And one of those teams could be Tur- the Toronto Raptors' second-round matchup. I'd be okay with that. Pending. We'll, we'll get into what Josh and I will be looking out for over the course of the last 25 games of the season. Uh, Lewenberg wrote about that. Uh, Josh also brought up a name to potentially look out for in the buyout market. We'll speculate and, and, and we'll get into what this player would bring to the table for this Raptors team. We'll spin you around the league because Giannis, as I mean, if he's not healthy, the Bucks are not going anywhere, and he's dealing with a knee issue, so we'll get into that. Kawhi Leonard not playing. Wow. If his future lays elsewhere, could it be in Toronto? Oh. Might as well plant that seed right now. All that coming up as Jurassic Pod rolls on. 
This is Jurassic Pod, Wheeler and Loomberg with you. I loved your sigh to end the last segment. Just because I brought up Kawhi Leonard maybe playing elsewhere. And why wouldn't a team like the Toronto Raptors go after him? Let's just start right here because Kawhi Leonard has been medically cleared to play by the San Antonio Spurs, but he's not. He and his people, for whatever reason, either believe that his body simply isn't right, or maybe if we dig a little deeper, back to what Jalen Rose said about a month ago on first take, <laughs> that Kawhi doesn't want to play in San Antonio anymore. I so don't buy it. let's get the rumor mill churning. Why isn't he playing right now? And why would Greg Popovich come out and say, well, looks like he's done for the season even if the window was open just a little bit, that it can return in a couple weeks. It doesn't I, have to be right now. I think, it needs to be for the playoffs. I think people would be amazed to find out how often this happens, where a player is medically cleared by a team and still decides not to play for whatever reason. And I mean, the, the optics of it are terrible, especially when it's released the way that it was with Kawhi, where Woj puts out a piece and all of a sudden people are asking, well, why isn't this guy playing? It reminds me of the Derrick Rose situation in Chicago back all those years ago, late in the season when he was cleared to play and he didn't play that season. He didn't play in the playoffs and people were questioning his toughness and his uh, competitiveness and, and his desire to... To play, but well, can, can I bring a Toronto example into play? Yeah. What about last year in the playoffs? Was Kyle Lowry hurt or was he injured? There was there was some conversation at that time. Like obviously, he wasn't anywhere near a hundred percent. Some players can play through being hurt, and some players are injured where they simply can't play. And what was Kyle Lowry? I think it was up for interpretation last year. So. That would have been a case where the player simply didn't think he was able to go. And, it, it happens. And, and, and it, it happens often, right, frequently. And, right, and, and that I'm, I'm, I was just bringing that up because yep. that was an amicable situation that ended up working out and has worked out for both sides since, where that relationship still is strong. With I, I just don't know what's going on in San Antonio, and for me, where there, where there's smoke, there's fire, and something about this situation doesn't seem right. I always afford teams and players that have proven themselves to be something, to be whatever. I always afford them the benefit of the doubt. In the same way that people are um, dancing on the Cavaliers' grave and LeBron's grave, and I keep saying, I'll believe they're done when I see it. I'm going to say the same thing about the Spurs and their organization and how professional they've been in dealing with situations like this over the years. LaMarcus Aldridge is a perfect example of it. He was a guy, there was all sorts of rumblings about him wanting out uh, a, a year or so ago, even in the summer, and Greg Popovich, the uh, manager of all situations that he is, he dealt with it. He talked with Aldridge, he uh, settled the situation down, and uh, LaMarcus is the biggest reason why the, the Spurs are still... In it, right. even without Kawhi Leonard. They have a way of dealing with these situations without panicking in the way that... I mean, I didn't like the way Cleveland dealt with the Kyrie Irving situation. You can't overreact and deal with things in a short-sighted type of way. When and they won't, but this guy is a superstar player who has dealt with some health problems, who's under contract... For what another two years? Well, he's under contract next year for about twenty-one million dollars. Then a player and I think option. He, yeah, he can opt out in the summer after, of twenty nineteen, which which he will because he'll make 
just the way that he plays, as long as he's healthy, he'll be more than a $21 million player for the following season. He'll still be about 28 years old, right in his prime. Man, oh man, a huge contract would be put his way. And I, I believe I suggested this to you on the radio. There are few players where whether it be the summertime or the trade deadline, that you take a big swing at and you risk ruining what you have to a certain degree. But Kawhi Leonard is good enough. You, when he's healthy, I believe you think he's top three or four in the league, right? Yep. Top, certainly top five. That would be a player that would be worth taking something away from what you have now in order to bring him in and try to become something better. So summer of 2019, where will the Raptors be? No, um, no, no, no. If, if he wants out, you're going to be trading for him this summer. Oh. It would be this summer, Josh. You don't wait till he's a free agent. If you're the Spurs and you know he's just going to walk for nothing, you want to get assets back this summer. But that's what that's I, when the move is made. That's what I say. Is like I don't think they. That's not the way the Spurs operate. That's not the way but they that's operate. That's the way that the NBA world is operated. Look at all these players that have been traded, or even over the last calendar year. Blake Griffin, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, go down the list. The situation Josh. would have to be really contentious for the Spurs to say, here's a guy who we uh, built this new era of our franchise around who all of a sudden we're going to give up on because you're not going to get fair value. None of these, I, like, I think. Indiana did really well for Paul George. Obviously, Minnesota, uh, sorry, uh, Chicago did uh, much better than people thought that they would do for Jimmy Butler. But hold on a second. But you're not going to get fair value for a guy like that. But the Spurs are almost in a position where I think they've been playing above their heads. Gasol's an older player. Parker's an older player. Ginobili's an older player. Like This team is screaming rebuild. Or, or maybe not how a complete many, how many, tear down? How many times have, do you think people have said that over the last know, two decades? But how long? And somehow they still end up transitioning from era to era, and they've been able to do that because they have these generational talents, and Kawhi is one of them, and he's a guy that they looked at and saying, okay, he's going to be our star post-Duncan. The relationship was great. You don't think the player has the power, any power in this situation, in a league where the players seemingly have a ton? I think there's a lot of speculation here just based on, this is something that we talked about on the radio at the time, when you asked this question, is like when a guy goes through an injury like this, it's a long-term thing, it's frustrating for the player, and all of a sudden he's He's upset with himself. He's upset with his situation, his routine. Everything's all thrown off. And yeah, he's pointing fingers at the doctors and the uh, and the team. It's not a great situation. But at the same time, this is what I said about the Spurs, is like they're not going to overreact to that. If they once believed this guy is the future of their team, they'd have to be really damn sure that things have changed and that the situation is so contentious that it can't be rebuilt right. in order for them to give up on him for less than face value, which I think they would have right. to. It's just like this whole disconnected talk. And I just, if he's available this summer... The Raptors have young assets. They can trade draft picks. They can trade Norman Powell's contract this summer. Listen, like that is a player that I make a play for. And for the first time in franchise history, would be willing to spend above and beyond the, the salary cap into the luxury tax to bring a player like him to town. That's a player where you say, hey, we're ready to go to the next level. If we can get him, we go out and get him. 
I think this is I, crazy. Okay, I think that's fine. I, you, you can call it crazy. I talk. think it's I crazy. I say it would be crazy not to pursue heavily a player that there might be some discontent. Pursue, pursue it all you want, and maybe they can convince <laughs> him to come to Toronto as a free agent in a couple of years from now. But I don't think they have the assets that. I mean, why would the Spurs sell on him for what? O- OG and Jonas Valanciunas, plus, Norman Powell. What picks? Low first round picks. Picks. You have. Why would they you do have that? Because you have four players in their first and second years who are very good players. What about your boy Freddie Van Vliet going the other way? Come on. Well, first of all, he's he a needs free a new agent. Contract. He's a free agent. Yeah, but uh, the Raptors are going to do everything in their power to bring him back. Will they? You don't think they will? Depends what the price tag is. Really? They're, they're actually in a good situation. So Van Vliet's situation, I've had a lot of questions about this, so let's get into this. Yeah, let's go. Van Vliet is a restricted free agent. Um, per CBA rules and in, in a way that most people, including myself, can't possibly un- understand, um, they <laughs> <laughs> no team can offer him more than the mid-level exception, which will be around $8.5 million. That's the most the Raptors can offer him as well. So the Raptors can match any offer he gets, and it can only be up to $8.5 million. So it's not like somebody's going to blow uh, the Raptors away the and Raptors offer him. the Raptors could give him more. The Raptors, no, no, the Raptors can't give him oh, more they than eight. Have, they can only no, match. So Fred Van Vliet cannot make more than $8.5 million in the next, annually in the next contract that he signs. That's why, and we know he's a guy who likes to bet on himself because that's what it says on his shirt. Um, he he might sign a short term deal so that he can get back into the market in a year or two years from now to be able to sign more. Because right now, coming off of this uh, deal that he was signed to the undrafted uh, rookie contract, right? That's interesting. That the like there isn't and and look the CBA. You need a degree in NBA economics to fully understand all the permutations. I'm surprised that there isn't something built into play where it's like, okay, we can give you 11 million dollars for year per year for the next three or four to kind of give you a little bit more incentive to stay here longer. Nope, you know be, what I mean? That'd be roughly just... eight and a half. So the Raptors are actually in, if the Raptors want Fred Van Vliet back, he will be back. They have enough. Power there in that well, negotiation. Well, he'll be back, and and just on top of that, if they want to go out and make a deal, that's a that's a good contract for any NBA. But come team. on, like I said, is, is I always try to in situations like this. I know fans will be, fans have actually been getting on me because I keep shooting down all their outlandish ideas, and now I'm shooting down your outlandish idea. Oh, uh, I'm not suggesting Fred Van Vliet for Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> all I'm saying is that the Raptors have a lot of good young assets, and they have some good salary cap hits amongst their players. But no, what what, what this sounds like to me is like when you are offering, not you specifically, but when, when people are offering like fantasy sports trades, they're like, okay, I'll take the best player on your team and I'll give you like six guys. No, team- that, that isn't that. No, but it is that because, again, like I said, the Spur, why would the Spurs trade him for something significantly less than face value? Why would they trade him for spare parts? If they're going to trade well, him... Why did the Pacers uh, trade Paul George for what at that time looked to be not getting value in return. They're not he, the told, only he, told, trade. he told them that he was leaving. That's a little bit different. Yeah, Co- what if Kawhi Leonard says, after next year, I am leaving? Then we revisit this conversation, See, but it, he, he has come nowhere close to saying that. It's been pure speculation at this point that he's not happy, and even the speculation is like, okay, he's a little frustrated with them. The speculation isn't that he's refusing to play for this. It's not a Vince Carter situation. Right. And here we get into Vince Carter again. Anyway, my point is, if they are in a position or in a situation where they say, okay, he is 
on the block. We're open for business. They're looking for, and I'll say this again because I've been saying it with all these superstar players that have been talked about over the last few years, they're looking for blue-chip prospects. I mean, guys, not like, I mean, Norman Powell's a good player. OG Ananobi could be a good player. I'm talking blue-chip. I'm talking about, like, the Jason Tatums, the guys that can be, can legitimate, you can legitimately see them growing into superstars or, like, a, a top pick um, or a guy that comes back and is already a star player. I, I can't see why they would give up on him for... Okay, I'm, 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 just, I'm just suggesting that the Raptors have some decent assets. They do. And we kind of understate what they're... We'll, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation. We have more to get into. But when I hear Kawhi Leonard potentially... I, I just see what's going on right now. It makes me giddy. It makes me excited. Giannis and Tutacampo... In an interview with, I believe it was like Eurosport or Euro Basketball, one of the European profiles. And this is what's funny like, whenever these guys go and, and it happens in hockey, it happens in soccer, it happens in all sports, you go and speak in your native tongue, and whether it's lost in translation or whatever, the truth inevitably comes out in one way, shape, or form. He says that he's playing too much, and his knee is bothering him a little bit just because he's been playing too much over the summer into the season. Do the Milwaukee Bucks really need to reel him in down the stretch? Because if they have no Giannis, don't have a healthy Giannis, then they really don't have a chance. And that's why, like, in the All-Star game, I was cheering for Dwayne Casey. Just keep on playing Giannis. Keep on playing LeBron. I was cheering for these guys to get overworked. But if he's not healthy, then the way that we look at the Milwaukee Bucks is completely different. Well, this is the exact same dilemma that the Raptors had been in over the last few years where you see Kyle Lowry, he's starting to wear down, and obviously Giannis is a lot younger now than Lowry was over the last couple years, but the Raptors had always kind of wanted to cut Lowry's minutes back a bit to try and preserve him for the playoffs, understanding how important he was, Mm. but the reality was He's simply too valuable, or at least he was in that when he come off the floor, the Raptors would fall apart. Now, this year, they've been able to do that for the first time, is to uh, watch Lowry's workload, and it hasn't resulted in a drop-off because the Raptors have great depth and their young guys have stepped up. Milwaukee, I don't think, is in that situation yet. They've got some good young players, but they're still in a situation, they're still in a position where if Giannis isn't on the floor, they're in trouble. So it depends on what their priority is. He's missed four games this year due to knee soreness. Um, I think it's a story to watch out for. Because it has a direct influence on the Raptors and every other team in the Eastern Conference. If he's not healthy, good luck. Good luck. We'll, we'll watch the story develop. And if I'm the Bucks, man, I, I tread carefully. Jabari Parker, his leg can fall off at any time. Yep. I just Malcolm Brogdon, he's out long term. The last thing you need is to overwork uh, your star player for now in the future and risk this guy not being right. Well, again, like I said, it's sort of the same situation the Raptors were in the last few years where it's like, okay, you're you're not quite at an elite level yet. The East was wide open the last few years. It's even more wide open this year, as we said earlier. Six teams for five spots. So Mm -hmm. what's the solution here if you're Milwaukee to sit them out? Because if you do, you could be that sixth team that falls to ninth, 
You might miss the playoffs altogether. That's how good Giannis is. And that's why when I was handicapping those teams earlier, I had Milwaukee as the second toughest of those six teams simply because I think they have the best player in that mix with Giannis. Uh, So that's how important he is. You're right. If he's not healthy come the playoffs, they're in a lot of trouble. They're not going anywhere. But also, if you're not playing them now, you might not even get there. So it's a, a really tough thing to balance, I think, for the Bucks here over the next couple months. We're going rapid fire the next segment of the program, what the Raptors need to work on down the stretch, a possible bio candidate that might be a fit for the Raptors, and the playoff format 1-16, through 16, thumbs up, thumbs down, Wheeler and Lundberg with you, this is Jurassic Pod. This is Jurassic Pod, Wheeler and Lundberg with you. I don't know if you know this out there, Josh is a phenomenal writer. I don't know how. He got the voice. He's got the writing. He's like a five-tool player. I don't know what the other three tools are, but he's a five-tool player. Do, do you need something from me today, man? What's with all the no, uh, buddy, like, bu- buttering me up today? I liked your preview piece for the rest of the year on tsn.ca, the four storylines to kind of look out for. We kind of already addressed Very the Eastern Conference. Very complimentary today. Well, I'm, I'm in a good mood today. You um, can't see me, but I'm blushing. The, the Raptors pushing for first place. We dealt with the Eastern Conference. Let's deal with the last two. We only have a few moments here, but the Raptors down the stretch of ball games, it's an area in need of improvement. And as of recent weeks, the Raptors have been blowing everyone out, so we haven't seen too many yeah. close games in late game situations. But maybe just throw some numbers, Josh, about where the Raptors need to improve and how much of a liability it is going down the stretch if they don't work out these kinks. It's amazing what a difference those last few minutes in close games have made because, as we know, the Raptors are the fourth-ranked offensive team in the NBA this year, but then in those clutch situations, which are characterized as uh, the final five minutes Mm -hmm. of games that are within five points or less, the Raptors fall to 25th in offense, and the primary culprit is the lack of movement and creativity in their play calling, in their execution. Now, it's not entirely surprising, and this is something that we've talked about, is that we sort of saw this coming going into the year when they were implementing this new system and talking about making the changes in the way that they play without changing the personnel, even if they were able to do it, and they have been able to do it for the most part, it it was always going to be a tougher adjustment when the the stakes go up and and when teams really lock into you sure. late in those close games so it's understandable that it's a work in progress it's understandable that it's the last thing to sort of click that said it's absolutely going to be something to watch over the next couple months because they've got to figure it out i like the fact that they're aware of it that they're talking about it, that they're working on it, that they know that it's an issue, but now they've got to correct that issue. So for Dwayne Casey, it's about experimenting with his closing lineups, finding a few of them that work, and then ultimately getting comfortable there in the same way that they are the rest of the games. Because Wheels, if they can do it for the first 45 minutes... 43 minutes, they should be able to do it over the final five. It's so interesting to me, because I watched the Raptors 905, less talent, arguably, well, not even arguably, less talent with the Raptors 905, and Coach Jerry Stackhouse continually at the end of quarters, inbounds plays, coming out of timeouts, execute, execute, execute. So, it might be easier to do as crazy as this sounds. It might be easier to do you're with right. less talent because then you're not there's not that temptation of okay, we'll just throw it into this guy because he's right. your best player. It's we don't have a best player, <laughs> so we've got to move it around. We've got to spread it out. Um, 
the final topic was the thing to look out for down the stretch are bio candidates. The Raptors still have that roster spot available. And you brought up a name, and I've liked the name in the past. The question is, how much game does he have left? Yeah. A player that Masai Ujiri, very familiar with from his time in Denver, and Aaron Aflalo. Yeah, it's, it's so yes, last week when we were talking about buyout and, and the reasons why Vince Carter has been ruled out as an option by the Raptors, I, I mentioned that I, I get the sense from the Raptors, from Masai Ujiri, that one, they they do have a player in mind. Two, they're pretty confident that that player is going to be out there. And three, that they're confident that that player would choose Toronto. This is why I think Aaron Aflalo makes sense to me as that player. As you mentioned, Masai knows Aflalo, has a relationship with him from their time in Denver, so could have an idea that he maybe would be sold on uh, the situation here in Toronto, in Toronto. And then also, as we know, there's the Orlando connection with former Raps GM Jeff Weltman, so it's conceivable that Masai would have a, an idea of... Orlando's intentions with Apollo. You can't have enough shooting. He's a veteran guy, doesn't require a ton of minutes, but provides insurance and another shooter on a team that that looks to be a player or a position where you could always use a little bit more, especially on this team. There's just no risk. Like He's not, you're right, he is not the player anywhere close to the player that he was a few years ago when the Raptors were interested in him. Um, But the one thing that he still does at a pretty high level is shoot the three. He's a 39% career three-point shooter, and he's shooting 37% from three this year. Now he's shooting, I think, like 38% from the field, averaging three points a game. He's not. He's at one of the worst players in the league this season, but I think the hope would be that he'd come to a contender, a winning situation, and maybe that would reinvigorate him a little bit, as we've seen with veteran players in previous years. But here, here are two really important things to consider. One, he would be an insurance piece. He's not coming in to take minutes away from Fred Van Vliet or even Norman Powell. Like It's conceivable that Aflalo would be the 12th man here in case of emergency, in case of an injury, or if uh, OG or Norm falter down the stretch. And then also, and I would stress this as well, is this is the most realistic situation. Maybe the only realistic situation. I know a lot of people like Ursan Ilyasova, he would be a great fit, a much better fit than a Flalo. But Ilyasova is 30 years old. He's playing 25 minutes a night with Atlanta right now. He's got a lot left, and he's going to want to go somewhere where they could offer him guaranteed minutes. That's why the Raptors lost out on Marco Bellinelli. A Flalo is a guy that might be sold on simply coming to a team where he'd have a chance, chance to win. To win, he hasn't <laughs> made it. it. He hasn't made it past the first round wheels since his rookie year yeah. a decade ago. Exactly. Familiar, familiarity with Masai can't hurt as well. Like Josh, we're flush at a time. Um, I was going to ask you which would you rather see happen in the NBA? It was put out by ESPN. A playoff play-in tournament for the seven and eight seeds. Love it. Eliminating the one and done rule. Love it. Reseeding the playoffs one to sixteen. Love it. I love all these ideas. We'll get your response next week. Okay. Because we're out of time. We'll make sure that we get this in next week. Unless you have anything in thirty seconds you want to share about the NBA All Star Weekend. That's it. There's there's too much there, but like ban Fergie and ban Kevin Hart. But from it's the a building. lot of fluff, right? Like the slam dunk contest. Eh, 
three-point contest. Like, it was just all meh, but it's still awesome to see the top players in the game having fun over the course of All-Star Weekend, embracing all that's all that it's about, and a pretty decent game at that. I'll say this very quickly, is the NBA will pat themselves on the, show, uh, on the, on the back for the change in format as uh, the biggest reason why this game was competitive. It helped, maybe 10%. Dwayne Casey and his insistence on being competitive helped 10%. 80% of the reason why this game was competitive was because LeBron James yep. wanted it to be competitive. Exactly. You just wait till next year when they do the draft live publicly before. It'll be even better. I think the NBA is making proper progress, proper steps. Shout out to LeBron, shout out to Lowry, and the Raptors coaching staff representing the city well over the course of the weekend as well. Yeah, man. Good stuff, Josh. We'll be back next week. Man, we need more time on this podcast. We'll talk to our programmers, see what we can do. We, You can listen to us on TSN 1050 in Toronto. Of course, subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends. We're trying to bring you the Raptors coverage. Not that, not only that you want, but you deserve Toronto. On behalf of my good buddy Josh Lundberg, I am Gareth Wheeler. This has been Jurassic Pod.